0: Chapters three, four, and five of The Devil's Pool. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Devil's Pool by Georges Saint, translated by George B. Ives. Chapter three Pere Maurice. Germain, his father in law said to him one day. You must make up your mind to marry again. It's almost two years since you lost my daughter, and your oldest boy is seven years old. You're getting on toward thirty, my boy, and when a man passes that age, you know in our province he's considered too old to begin housekeeping again. You have three fine children, and thus far they haven't been a trouble to us. My wife and daughter-in-law have looked after them as well as they could, and loved them as they ought. There's Petit Pierre. He's what you might call educated. He can drive oxen very handily already. He knows enough to keep the cattle in the meadow, and he's strong enough to drive the horses to water. So he isn't the one to be a burden to us, but the other two-we love them, God knows-poor innocent creatures-cause us much anxiety this year. My daughter-in-law is about lying in, and she still has a little one in her arms. When the one we expect has come, she won't be able to look after your little Solange, and especially your little Sylvain. Who isn't four years old and hardly keeps still a minute, day or night. His blood is hot, like yours. He'll make a good workman, but he's a terrible child, and my old woman can't run fast enough now to catch him when he runs off toward the ditch or in among the feet of the cattle. And then, when my daughter-in-law brings this other one into the world, her last but one will be thrown on my wife's hands for a month, at least. So your children worry us and overburden us. We don't like to see children neglected. And when you think of the accidents that may happen to them for lack of watching, your mind's never at rest. So you must have another wife, and I another daughter-in-law. Think it over, my boy. I've already warned you more than once. Time flies, and the years won't wait for you. You owe it to your children and to us, who want to have everything go right in the house, to marry as soon as possible. Well, father, the son-in-law replied, if you really want me to do it, I must gratify you but I don't propose to conceal from you that it will cause me a great deal of annoyance, and that I'd about as leave drown myself. You know what you've lost, and you don't know what you may find. I had an excellent wife, a good-looking wife, sweet and brave, good to her father and mother, good to her husband, good to her children, a good worker, in the fields or in the house, clever about her work, good at everything, in fact, and when you gave her to me, when I took her, it wasn't one of the conditions that I should forget her if I had the bad luck to lose her. "'What you say shows a good heart, Germain,' rejoined Père Maurice. "'I know you loved my daughter, that you made her happy, and that if you could have satisfied death by going in her place, Catherine would be alive at this moment, and you in the cemetery. She well deserved to have you love her like that, and if you don't get over her loss, no more do we. But I'm not talking about forgetting her. THE GOOD GOD WILLED THAT SHE SHOULD LEAVE US, AND WE DON'T LET A DAY PASS WITHOUT SHOWING HIM BY OUR PRAYERS, OUR THOUGHTS, OUR WORDS, OUR ACTS, THAT WE RESPECT HER MEMORY AND ARE GRIEVED AT HER DEPARTURE. BUT IF SHE COULD SPEAK TO YOU FROM THE OTHER WORLD AND TELL YOU HER WILL, SHE WOULD BID YOU SEEK A MOTHER FOR HER LITTLE ORPHANS. THE QUESTION, THEN, IS TO FIND A WOMAN WORTHY TO TAKE HER PLACE. IT WON'T BE VERY EASY, BUT IT ISN'T IMPOSSIBLE, AND WHEN WE HAVE FOUND HER FOR YOU, you will love her as you loved my daughter because you are an honest man and because you will be grateful to her for doing us a service and loving your children very good pere maurice said germain i will do what you wish as i always have done i must do you the justice to say my son that you have always listened to the friendship and sound arguments of the head of your family so let us talk over the matter of your choice of a new wife In the first place, I don't advise you to take a young woman. That isn't what you need. Youth is fickle, and as it's a burden to bring up three children, especially when they're the children of another marriage, what you must have is a kind-hearted soul, wise and gentle, and used to hard work. If your wife isn't about as old as yourself, she won't have sense enough to accept such a duty. She will think you too old and your children too young. She will complain, and your children will suffer. That is just what disturbs me, said Germain. Suppose she should hate the poor little ones and they should be maltreated and beaten? God forbid, said the old man. But evil minded women are rarer in these parts than good ones, and a man must be a fool not to be able to put his hand on the one that suits him. True, father. There are some good girls in our village. There's Louise and Sylvain and Claudie and Marguerite, any one you please, in fact. Softly, softly, my boy. All those girls are too young, or too poor, or too pretty, for we must think of that too, my son. A pretty woman isn't always as steady as a plainer one. Do you want me to take an ugly one, pray? said Germaine, a little disturbed. No, not ugly, for you will have other children by her, and there's nothing so sad as to have ugly, puny, unhealthy children. But a woman still in her prime, in good health, and neither ugly nor pretty, would do your business nicely. "'It is easy to see,' said Germain, smiling rather sadly, "'that to get such a one as you want we must have her made to order, "'especially as you don't want her to be poor, "'and rich wives aren't easy to get, especially for a widower. "'Suppose she was a widow herself, Germain. "'What do you say to a widow without children and a snug little property? "'I don't know of any just now in our parish.' "'Nor do I. But there are other places.' YOU HAVE SOMEONE IN VIEW, FATHER, SO TELL ME AT ONCE WHO IT IS. CHAPTER Four, GERMAINE, THE CUNNING PLOWMAN YES, I HAVE SOMEONE IN VIEW, REPLIED PERE MAURICE. IT'S ONE, LENARD, WIDOW OF ONE Guerin, WHO LIVES AT FORCHE. I DON'T KNOW THE WOMAN OR THE PLACE, REPLIED GERMAINE, RESIGNED, BUT BECOMING MORE AND MORE DEPRESSED. Her name is Catherine, like your deceased wife's. Catherine? Yes, I shall enjoy having to say that name. Catherine. And yet, if I can't love her as well as I love the other, it will cause me more pain than pleasure, for it will remind me of her too often. I tell you that you will love her. She's a good creature, a woman with a big heart. I haven't seen her for a long time. She wasn't a bad-looking girl then, but she's no longer young. She is thirty-two. She belongs to a good family, all fine people, and she has eight or ten thousand francs in land which she would be glad to sell and buy other land where she goes to live. For she, too, is thinking of marrying again, and I know that if her disposition should suit you, she wouldn't think you a bad match. So have you arranged it all? Yes, subject to the judgment of you two, and that is what you must ask each other after you are acquainted. The woman's father is a distant relation of mine and has been a very close friend. You know him, don't you? Père Yes, I have seen him talking with you at the fairs, and at the last one you breakfasted together. Is this what you were talking about at such length? To be sure. He watched you selling your cattle, and thought you did the business very well, that you were a fine appearing fellow, that you seemed active and shrewd, and when I told him all that you are, and how well you have behaved to us during the eight years we've lived and worked together, without ever an angry or discontented word he took it into his head that you must marry his daughter and the plan suits me too i confess considering the good reputation she has the integrity of her family and what i know about their circumstances i see pere maurice that you think a little about worldly goods of course i think about them don't you i will think about them if you choose to please you BUT YOU KNOW THAT, FOR MY PART, I NEVER TROUBLE MYSELF ABOUT WHAT IS OR WHAT IS NOT COMING TO ME IN OUR profits. I DON'T UNDERSTAND ABOUT MAKING A DIVISION, AND MY HEAD ISN'T GOOD FOR SUCH THINGS. I KNOW ABOUT THE LAND, AND CATTLE, AND HORSES, AND SEED, AND FODDER, AND THRESHING. AS FOR SHEEP, AND VINES, AND GARDENING, THE NICETIES OF FARMING, AND SMALL profits ALL THAT, YOU KNOW, IS YOUR SON'S BUSINESS, AND I DON'T INTERFERE MUCH IN IT. As for money, my memory is short, and I prefer to yield everything rather than dispute about thine and mine. I should be afraid of making a mistake in claiming what is not due me, and if matters were not simple and clear, I should never find my way through them. So much the worse, my son, and that's why I would like you to have a wife with brains to take my place when I am no longer here. You have never been willing to look into our accounts, and that might make trouble between you and my son when you don't have me to keep the peace between you, and tell you what is coming to each of you. May you live many years, Père Maurice, but don't you worry about what will happen when you are gone. I shall never dispute with your son. I trust Jacques as I trust myself, and as I have no property of my own, as everything that can possibly come to me, comes to me as your daughter's husband, and belongs to our children, I can be easy in my mind, and so can you jacques would never try to defraud his sister's children for his own as he loves them almost equally you are right in that germain jacques is a good son a good brother and a man who loves the truth but jacques may die before you before your children are grown up and one must always have a care not to leave minors without a head to give them good advice and arrange their differences otherwise the lawyers interfere set them at odds with each other and make them eat everything up in lawsuits so, we ought not to think of bringing another person into our house, man or woman, without saying to ourselves that that person may some day have to direct the conduct and manage the business of thirty or more children, grandchildren, sons-in-law, and daughters-in-law. No one knows how much a family may grow, and when the hive is too full and the time has come to swarm, every one thinks about carrying off his honey. When I took you for my son-in-law, although my daughter was rich and you poor. I never reproached her for choosing you. I saw you were a good worker, and I knew well that the best sort of riches for country people like us is a good pair of arms and a heart like yours. When a man brings those things into a family, he brings enough. But it's different with a woman. Her work in the house is to keep, not to get. Besides, now that you are a father and are looking for a wife, you must remember that your new children, having no sort of claim on the inheritance of your first wife's children, would be left in want if you should die, unless your wife has some property of her own. And then it could cost something to feed the children you are going to add to our little colony. If that should fall on us alone, we would take care of them, never fear, and without complaining. But everybody's comfort would be diminished, and the first children would have to take their share of the privations. When families increase beyond measure, and their means do not increase in proportion, then want comes, however bravely we may struggle against it. This is all I have to say, Germaine. Think it over, and try to make yourself agreeable to widow Guérin, for her good management and her crowns will bring us aid for the present and peace of mind for the future. Very good, father. I will try to like her and make her like me. To do that, you must go to see her. At her home? At Fourch? That's a long way, isn't it? And we don't have much time to run about at this season. When a marriage for love is on the carpet, you must expect to waste time, but when it's a marriage of convenience between two people who have no whims, and who know what they want, it's soon arranged. Tomorrow will be Saturday. You can shorten your day's ploughing a bit, and start about two o'clock, after dinner. You will be at Fourche by night. There's a good moon just now, the roads are excellent, and it isn't more than three leagues. Fourche is near Mungnir. Besides, you can take the mare. I should rather go afoot in this cool weather. True, but the mare's a fine beast, and a suitor makes a better appearance if he comes well mounted. You must wear your new clothes and carry a nice present of game to Père Lénard. You will say that you come with a message from me, you will talk with him, you will pass the Sunday with his daughter, and you will return with a yes or a no on Monday morning. Very good, replied Germain calmly, and yet he was not altogether calm germain had always lived a virtuous life as hard-working peasants do married at twenty he had loved but one woman in his life and since he had become a widower although he was naturally impulsive and vivacious he had never laughed and dallied with any other he had faithfully cherished a genuine regret in his heart and he did not yield to his father-in-law without a feeling of dread and melancholy but the father-in-law had always managed his family judiciously and germain who had devoted himself unreservedly to the common work and consequently to him who personified it the father of the family germain did not understand the possibility of rebelling against sound arguments against the common interest of all nevertheless he was sad few days passed that he did not weep for his wife in secret and although solitude was beginning to weigh upon him he was more terrified at the thought of forming a new union than desirous to escape from his grief. He said to himself vaguely that love might have consoled him if it had taken him by surprise, for love does not console otherwise. One cannot find it by seeking it. It comes to us when we do not expect it. This project of marriage, conceived in cold blood, which Père Maurice laid before him, the unknown fiancée, and perhaps even all the good things that were said of her common sense and her virtue, gave him food for thought and he went his way, musing as a man muses, who has not enough ideas to fight among themselves, that is to say, not formulating in his mind convincing reasons for selfish resistance, but conscious of a dull pain, and not struggling against an evil which it was necessary to accept. Meanwhile, Père Maurice had returned to the farmhouse, while Germain employed the last hour of daylight, between sunset and darkness, and mending the breeches made by the sheep in the hedge surrounding a vineyard near the farm-buildings. He raised the stalks of the bushes, and supported them with clods of earth, while the thrushes chattered in the neighbouring thicket, and seemed to call to him to make haste. They were so curious to come to examine his work as soon as he had gone. CHAPTER La L'Aguilier Père Maurice found in the house an elderly neighbour, who had come to have a chat with his wife, and borrow some embers to light her fire. Mère Goulet lived in a wretched hovel within two gunshots of the farm. But she was a decent woman, and a woman of strong will. Her poor house was neat and clean, and her carefully patched clothes denoted proper self-respect with all her poverty. "'You came to get some fire for the night, eh, Mère Goulet? said the old man. "'Is there anything else you would like?' "'No, Père Maurice,' she replied. Nothing just now. I'm no beggar, you know, and I don't abuse my friend's kindness. That's the truth. And so your friends are always ready to do you a service. I was just talking with your wife, and I was asking her if Germain had at last made up his mind to marry again. You're no gossip," replied Pere Maurice. "And one can speak before you without fear of people talking. So I will tell my wife and you that Germain has really made up his mind. He starts tomorrow for Fours. "'Bless me!' exclaimed Mere Maurice. "'The poor fellow! "'God grant that he may find a wife as good and honest as himself!' "'Ah, he is going to Fourche, observed La "'Just see how things turn out. "'That helps me very much. "'And as you asked me just now, Père Maurice, "'if there was anything I wanted, "'I'll tell you what you can do to oblige me.' "'Tell us, tell us. "'We shall be glad to oblige.' I would like to have Germain take the trouble to take my daughter with him." "'Where? To Fourch?' "'Not to Fourch, but to Ormeaux, where she is going to stay the rest of the year." "'What?' said Mare Maurice. "'Are you going to part from your daughter?' "'She has got to go out to service and earn something. It comes hard enough to me and to her too, poor soul. We couldn't make up our minds to part at Midsummer.' But now, Martin Mass is coming, and she has found a good place as shepherdess on the farms at Ormeaux. The farmer passed through here the other day on his way back from the fair. He saw my little Marie watching her three sheep on the common land. You don't seem very busy, my little maid, he said, and three sheep are hardly enough for a shepherd. Would you like to keep a hundred? I'll take you with me. The shepherdess at our place has been taken sick, and she's going back to her people and If you'll come to us within a week. YOU SHALL HAVE FIFTY francs FOR THE REST OF THE YEAR, UP TO MIDSUMMER. THE CHILD REFUSED, BUT SHE COULDN'T HELP THINKING ABOUT IT AND TELLING ME WHEN SHE CAME HOME AT NIGHT AND FOUND ME SAD AND PERPLEXED ABOUT GETTING THROUGH THE WINTER, WHICH IS SURE TO BE HARD AND LONG, FOR WE SAW THE CRANES AND WILD GEESE FLY SOUTH THIS YEAR A FULL MONTH EARLIER THAN USUAL. WE BOTH CRIED, BUT AT LAST WE TOOK COURAGE. We said to each other that we couldn't stay together because there's hardly enough to keep one person alive on our little handful of land and then marie's getting old here she is nearly sixteen and she must do as others do earn her bread and help her poor mother mergulay said the old ploughman if fifty francs was all that was needed to put an end to your troubles and make it unnecessary for you to send your daughter away why i would help you to find them although fifty francs begins to mean something to people like us. But we must consult good sense, as well as friendship, in everything. If you were safe from want this winter, you wouldn't be safe from future want, and the longer your daughter postpones taking the step, the harder it will be for you and for her to part. Little Marie is getting to be tall and strong, and she has nothing to do at home. She might fall into lazy habits. Oh, as far as that goes, I'm not afraid, said Mère "'Marie's as brave as a rich girl at the head of a big establishment could be. "'She doesn't sit still a minute with her arms folded, "'and when we haven't any work, she cleans and rubs our poor furniture "'and makes every piece shine like a looking-glass. "'She's a child that's worth her weight in gold, "'and I'd have liked it much better to have her come to you as a shepherdess "'instead of going so far away among people I don't know. "'You'd have taken her at Midsummer if we could have made up our minds.' "'but now you've hired all your help, "'and we can't think of it again until midsummer next year.' "'Oh, I agree with all my heart, Guile. "'I shall be very glad to do it. "'But meanwhile she will do well to learn a trade "'and get used to working for others.' "'Yes, of course, the die is cast. "'The farmer at Ormeaux sent for her this morning. "'We said yes, and she must go. "'But the poor child doesn't know the way, "'and I shouldn't like to send her so far all alone. "'As your son-in-law is going to Fourche to-morrow,' He can just as well take her. It seems that it's very near the farm she's going to, according to what they tell me, for I have never been there myself. They're right side by side, and my son-in-law will take her. That's as it should be, indeed. He can take her behind him on the mare, and that will save her shoes. Here he is, coming into supper. I say, Germaine, Mergillet's little Marie is going to Ormeaux as shepherdess. You'll take her on your horse, won't you? Very well said germain who was preoccupied but always ready to do his neighbour a service in our world it would never occur to a mother to entrust a daughter of sixteen to a man of twenty-eight for germain was really only twenty-eight and although according to the ideas of his province he was considered an old man so far as marriage was concerned he was still the handsomest man in the neighbourhood work had not furrowed and wrinkled his face as is the case with most peasants who have ten years of ploughing behind them He was strong enough to plough ten more years without looking old, and the prejudice of age must have been very strong in a young girl's mind, to prevent her remarking that Germaine had a fresh complexion, a bright eye, blue as the heavens in May, ruddy lips, superb teeth, and a body as graceful and supple as that of a colt that has never left the pasture. But chastity is a sacred tradition in certain country districts, far removed from the corrupt animation of large cities and Maurice's family was noted among all the families of Air for uprightness and fidelity to the truth. Germain was going in search of a wife. Marie was too young and too pure for him to think of her in that light, and unless he was a heartless bad man, it was impossible that he should have a guilty thought in connection with her. Père Maurice was in no way disturbed, therefore, to see him take the pretty girl en La L'Aguilier would have considered that she was insulting him, if she had requested him to respect her as his sister. Marie mounted the mare, weeping bitterly, after she had kissed her mother and her young friends twenty times over. Germain, who was also in a melancholy mood, had the more sympathy with her grief, and rode away with a grave face, while the neighbors waved their hands in farewell to poor Marie, with no thought of evil to come. End of chapters 3 through 5